Welcome to Classical Ideas. This is Greg Soden. On New Year's Day in 2019, I posted an interview with one of my favorite religion journalists, Sam Kessenbaum. Sam finds, researches, and writes about often overlooked topics in religion and spirituality, such as the Owaspi Bible, the Cosman Temple, and the Black Israelites or Hebrew Israelites. He has also written about the Igbo of Nigeria and their interest in Judaism, a Sri Lankan guru, a Jewish militia leader, and basketball star Amare Stoudemire's interest in Judaism. He finds groups who somewhat defy easy categorization and tells their stories. Lately, Sam has been exploring enchanted politics in his profile pieces of Jonathan Kahn, a doomsday prophet pastor who says the Bible predicted the presidency of Donald Trump, and A Course in Miracles, the mystical text that inspired Marianne Williamson's run for the presidency in the 2020 Democratic primary race. Sam's two most recent long pieces, titled Hashtag MAGA Church, The Doomsday Prophet Who Says the Bible Predicted Trump, and The Curious Mystical Text Behind Marianne Williamson's Presidential Bid, are both out now in the New York Times. It is these two pieces that we discuss in depth in this article, and I highly recommend you read them both. Sam Kestenbaum is an independent religion journalist. He writes for the New York Times and is a contributing editor and former staff writer for The Forward. He spent several years working in Asia and the Middle East, where he edited a newspaper in Sana, a website in Ramallah, and a magazine in Beijing. He lives in New York City. If you are curious about Sam's backstory, his path in journalism, how he came to be intrigued by his areas of interest, or his approach and methodology to journalism, please revisit episode 87, because it's a fascinating conversation. You can find Sam online at samkestenbaum.com, on Twitter at skestenbaum, or on Instagram at skestenbaum. You can check the show notes for links to the articles under discussion, as well as links to Sam's website and social media. You can follow Classical Ideas on Twitter at classical underscore ideas or Patreon at patreon.com slash classical ideas podcast. So without further delay, please enjoy my next conversation with return guest, Sam Kestenbach. Sam Kestenbaum, welcome back to Classical Ideas. Happy to be here. Sam, so you were here on the show um, over the winter in uh, 2019. I think you were my New Year's episode, actually. And it's really great to have you back. And I'm curious what you have been working on with regards to religion since I last had you on the show when we discussed the Owaspi Bible, the Cosman Temple, and the 90s vampire subculture of New York. So what is new? Yeah, I uh, continue to do religion writing. People will probably mostly have come across my work in the New York Times. I'm a I've come into a kind of a light residency program at the uh, New York Public Library. I just have I have a, a what they call a worth time scholar, meaning I'm often working out of the the midtown main branch of the New York Public Library, which is this amazing, beautiful, historic building there. Mm. And they have all sorts of uh, odd and rare books that I kind of dive into and which um, have informed some of the some of the pieces that I've been working on since then. Um, you know, again, mostly kind of like feature pieces for the New York Times is where most of my energy goes. Uh, I'm also doing some kind of scholarly work, uh, a chapter in a forthcoming book with Rutledge on... Uh, Kendrick Lamar and Hebrew Israelite um, theology or, or belief, and that's mostly what what I've been up to. These two most recent New York Times features, are, I think, is what we're, we're going to kind of segue into here. Um, you know, a lot of some of the some of the materials that led to those are came from readings and research that I was doing at the New York Public Library. Wonderful. Well, I am really excited today to talk to you about two of your recent feature long pieces in the New York Times. And I'm uh, I'm wondering if we can start off with your most recent one about Marianne Williamson called The Curious Mystical Text 
behind Marianne Williamson's presidential bid. Is that sound like a good place to start today? Yeah, let's do it. Excellent. So this piece is just out this past week from the New York Times. As Marianne Williamson, uh, as audience members will know, Marianne Williamson is currently running for president in the 2020 Democratic presidential primary. So what was the instigating moment for you as the reporter for pursuing this story? You know, when I was on last, we discussed an earlier piece of mine about the, the Waspy Bible, which, uh, not to get too sidetracked here, you know, is a was a kind of mystical Bible produced by a Manhattan um, dentist um, in the 19th century. And this sprouted a kind of a small religious movement that kind of flared up and flickered away. And I, you know, doing that work and kind of immersing myself in that really interesting book got me thinking about other American scriptures, mm. um, you know, kind of some of the kind of better known homegrown, uh, you know, American Bibles, of course, you know, the Book of Mormon is, is, is the kind of most famous from, from that early era, but it, it got me kind of just researching other American uh, scripture and the ways in which these texts are produced, the kind of arguments that happen around them, uh, the kind of struggles for authority within the community, and the kind of ways they emerge in the public square. And in, in terms of uh, A Course in Miracles, there really is no better known popularizer uh, of this book than, than, than Marianne Williamson. Um, so, so she, you know, has been on my radar kind of before, I guess, um, or, or, you know, before her, this kind of latest political act, uh, because she was interesting to me as a, as essentially an, an evangelist for this, uh, American scripture, you know, as I, as I write in the piece, you know, no one really has done more to, to spread this book than Marianne. You know, often people will say, as I think we'll get into it, but the woman who, who actually channeled this Bible, this, uh, this American Bible called A Course in Miracles, a Manhattan um, psychologist uh, named Helen Shookman. People will say that, you know, if, if Helen Shookman is, is the kind of the prophet or the um, kind of founder of this, of this movement, then, then Marianne, you know, is, is like the, uh, is an apostle. Um, so, so Marianne really, really has done a lot um, to spread this, this book. And, and, and that's kind of why she interested me. And I was um, kind of surprised, really. Um, I knew she was interesting. I, I don't think I knew that she would have this kind of viral moment that she did at the debates. I'd been kind of working on the story for, for, uh, for a while. Um, and she had this kind of runaway kind of viral moment uh, on her on the debate debut, her debut on the debate stage. Um, which gave a real kind of added punch to this article when it came out. Did you did you get to meet with Marianne Williamson to discuss the article? Yes, yes several times. Yeah, this is you know this is somebody who has been doing work in the public for decades. You know, she's a very mm-hmm. um, she's been kind of in celebrity circles in um, in public work for, for, for many years. So she's, you know, no stranger to kind of working um, kind of the mechanisms of media and uh, how that all works. Um, So, yeah, we, we spent time together when she launched her, uh, her, her, her latest book. It's her 13th and it's kind of essentially like a, a kind of a platform piece for her presidency called the politics of love. And, um, and, and so she had an opening here and we spent time at that. I also met her, uh, for, for some time in her, uh, in the kind of hotel where she was staying here, where we spoke and we had several follow-up, uh, phone conversations too. Um, so yeah, we, we, we spent, um, time together. Um, uh, you know, it would have been great to have spent more. I, I typically like to spend a lot of time with my, um, subjects if I can. Marion, of course, is running for president. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, there's a lot, you know, she's doing a lot, uh, and not in New York and I'm based in New York. So I kind of got, um, got as much as I could basically. And, and she's, you know, she's a very, uh, as I, as I hope comes across in the P 
teaching. She's, she's, she knows what she's doing. Um, she's very practiced. Um, she, you know, she, like I said, she's been, you know, appearing on, uh, on the Oprah Winfrey show and super soul Sundays, um, uh, in these kind of big platforms, uh, for decades. So she knows how to do this. You know, she's very much kind of on message now. So it's kind of hard to catch these types of people kind of off guard. Um, that is folks who, who kind of speak publicly for a living, but she, so she, she there's kind of a polish to, to what she's doing. And she was, you know, was she excited about the piece? You know, I think she's, or she, she was happy to, to speak to me, you know, I think also cause I'm coming at this, unlike some of my kind of peers in kind of the political reporting world, you know, I, I was particularly interested in her background, you know, as a kind of spiritual uh, teacher. Yeah. And in particular about A Course in Miracles, which, uh, you know, is, is regularly mentioned in the pieces about her. Uh, I don't think it, it's, I don't think folks are kind of, you know, one of the reasons that I took the approach I did to this article is I felt like folks weren't really, that is, um, other writers or, or um, reporters weren't necessarily looking as closely or seriously at this this book um, and Marianne's work with it. I felt it was kind of brushed over pretty quickly in most of the profiles of her as just kind of one a footnote in her kind of new age stardom. But um, you know, in fact, it really fueled her whole project, and that was that was the, the approach I, I took to speaking with her. Well, Sam, you have such a good eye for um, texts, you know, and I follow you on Twitter. Like, you're constantly posting fantastic little discoveries that you make in your research. And I feel like A Course in Miracles, the book by the psychologist Helen Shookman, might be something that a lot of listeners have never really heard about. Um, Mm -hmm. Can can you tell me a little bit about the context of the authorship of A Course in Miracles by by Helen Shookman? This is a channeled Bible. Uh, that comes um, uh, out of kind of 1960s New York. Um, Helen Shookman is a uh, a largely kind of non-practicing Jew from New York City, who um, you know will, would often kind of describe herself and is described and described in kind of um, in materials about her as a kind of unlikely prophet uh, or unlikely mystic, and that she you know, she, she is in this kind of, um, kind of secularized milieu, academic, interested in, um, kind, kind of scientific processes later in her life, in her, in her forties, actually, she goes back to school and gets a doctorate and, and then, um, works at, uh, Columbia, um, uh, Presbyterian, uh, medical center. So she's working there in the in the psychology in the uh, as a research um, psychologist, and you know, sometime in the mid '60s, she begins having these kind of mystical experiences. At the same time, she's she's having kind of conflicts with her coworkers, uh, particular her 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 colleague Bill Thetford, who becomes a collaborator in this book. And and as as kind of course insiders tell this story, you know, they're they're fighting and 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 they're kind of trying to find a way to a better way of living is, is the kind of the thing that, that Helen wants to, you know, comes to realizations that there has to be a better way, some way to kind of live without conflict. And she has these kind of visionary experiences. And one, she has this vivid dream. She's in a, in a cave unfurling a ancient scroll that says the, the, the name God on it. Uh, in another, she's, uh, she's in the subway and she has these people, she sees her passengers glowing in, in light. Um, one night she, she, uh, begins hearing this kind of inner voice, uh, telling her, um, to take notes. Uh, this is a course in miracles. Please take notes. It tells her. And she's like really uncomfortable with this. Uh, the story goes, but ultimately kind of begins writing down what this voice is telling her. And she comes to believe this is the voice of, of, of Jesus, the historical Jesus of Nazareth, uh, speaking to her, uh, a kind of inner dictation is what it's called. And she writes this down, this kind of channeling goes on for, for many years. Um, and with the kind of help and kind of massaging of, of, um, of you know, kind of a group of collaborators, including, you know, a most important Bill Thetford, who is her, her um, who she's working with there, they 
produced this huge volume, three three book volume um, of uh, channeled material and publish it in 1975, a limited edition, and then later in 76. It's published without anybody's name on it. Helen doesn't want her name on it. Mm-hmm. She's, she's kind of deeply troubled by it. Uh, you know, again, the kind of the story goes, and I spoke with one of the publishers of this book, and she said it wasn't that Helen didn't believe that this was important, but it's that she couldn't do it or that she was kind of unwilling to live by what this book was telling her to live by. And, you know, I think it's important to kind of back up and look at, you know, some of the say kind of where this, some of these ideas come from. So this book is kind of the, the way it's been kind of paved in kind of the American context by like, by new thought, by Christian science, by, uh, you know, movements that are teaching, uh, you know, some, some version of, of, of the idea that, you know, thoughts are causative, that, that reality is kind of created by the mind, by, 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 by thought and the kind of the thumbnail belief, you know, the, the real kind of shortened version of what the Course in Miracles is teaching is that, you know, reality is an illusion, um, that conflict, uh, you know, can be overcome by the, the, the power of love and a kind of a positive thinking um, and that this shift in perception produces uh, miracles. So it's so it's you know deeply concerned with the power of good or right thinking. So Marianne Williamson finds this book after you know she was a seeker. She's studying transcendental meditation books by uh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, who people may know from the new the recent Netflix documentary series Wild Country. But then she becomes a teacher of uh, the Course of Miracles after a series of signs that you write about in the piece. Um, what does a teacher do when teaching classes on the Course in Miracles? Mm-hmm. Were you able to find out any information mm-hmm. on actual classes? You know, it, it, it varies widely. I, I visited several classes here in, oh, cool. in New York and, and got to know some course students. You know, uh, that material is not in the piece, but, I, but I've been to several meetings here. So, I mean, it really varies. Um, you know, the course is, is, is an interesting thing in that it's actually you know, designed for, for, for self-study. There's, there are these three volumes. There's the kind of central text, and then there are these two other pieces, which one is uh, kind of for students and one is for teachers. So it's, it's kind of a self-contained document um, that, that, you know, that's why there are no, like, Course in Miracles clergy. You know, you, you don't need to be accredited in any particular way to do that, you know, you, you can really study it on your own, which is how a lot of people study it. It, you know, little kind of study groups have kind of cropped up after it came out. It also found a lot of popularity in, in, in unity churches, which are, you know, as re- some listeners might know, are other kind of new thought Christian uh, formations um, and this book kind of gelled well with what they were doing, but but in in Marianne's case, it's kind of unique in that she she went on to to actually to use this book. She, so she moves to L.A. She begins teaching classes, and in in, in time, she enters uh, she opens up these things called centers for living, uh, first in L.A. and then in New York, which are um, kind of teaching kind of course related messages to um, to people living with HIV. And this is a kind of a, a you know, a, a kind of particular application of, of the course, which is, you know, where Marianne really gets her first kind of big boost in popularity is doing these things, which were quite innovative at the time um, in all, you know, reaching out, you know, to her credit, reaching out to, you know, to a community with, that had kind of been sidelined by the medical establishment. And so, so she's, you know, in those meetings, she would be presumably, you know, reading passages of, of the course, kind of her own interpretation of it. You know, students are, in, in the groups that I visited, students are encouraged to kind of interpret kind of for themselves almost, um, and a lot of kind of wide-ranging discussion about how to apply the principles of this text. I hope that answers your question a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Have you been able to sp- uh, spend any get any amount of time with Williamson's books themselves? Like, have you been able to sit down and read her work? Yeah, no, I and I yeah, I've read several of her books. That you know, Return to Love is is was the kind of debut. Comes out in 1992, and it's called and it's kind of billed as a extended 
interpretation on A Course in Miracles. Okay. Um, I think it's like reflections on a principle on the principles of A Course in Miracles or something along those lines. Okay, so her and, writing um, her writing does jump mm-hmm. off of the Course in Miracles. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, you know, some kind of more explicit than others. Like I say, this this the first one absolutely is like kind of an extended interpretation of 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 the course. Um, you know, several others, which all kind of followed at a regular clip afterwards also do this. There's one, um, I'm forgetting the name, but kind of how to apply a course in miracles to, uh, for weight loss. There's one about, uh, how to apply a course in miracles for, um, kind of business success. Basically, I think it's called the, the law of divine compensation is what it's called. Uh, other, other times it's, a, you know, it's a little more oblique, uh, not everywhere she's saying, is she kind of, uh, you know, quoting from the text, but. Certainly, in those early years and, and at kind of particular junctures, the the course is uh, front and center of what she's doing when she goes on the Oprah show to promote her first book, which is when most most people were introduced to her for the first time. She is there talking about a course in miracles, and and the story goes that Oprah, you know, kind of praises the book uh, that is praises a, a return to love, Marianne's book, and says that she has you know experienced miracles in her own life after after reading this. So so Marianne's book Marianne's books um are you know some of them quote the course um at length others uh, mention it in passing but she you know in conversations with me she you know really cited it as a uh, as the 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 book that kind of saved her life when she was um kind of floundering uh as as a young woman. Okay, well, so now Williamson is running for president, and she is, as you mentioned, she had a viral moment during the debates when she talked about um, love within the debates near the end. And she also has gone on record as saying that um, the president, the current president's tactics, uh, she's called them dark metaphysical traditions. What do you uh, think? What do you think she means by that? You know, just as she speaks about harnessing love as a political force, you know, she talks about those who are harnessing fear as a political force. So, so I think that's what she's speaking to there. And, you know, in her, in that kind of debate moment, she said, you know, Mr. President, I, I think you know what you're doing. So, you know, I, I think she, she believes that, that the, the, the president, and I don't think she's alone here. I think she's kind of putting it into more uh, kind of mystical terms, but, but that, um, that Donald Trump has kind of harnessed fear um, as, 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 a, as, as a way to, to, to win the presidency. So I think that's what she means by that. You know, I think another kind of interesting, Mar- you know, Marianne Trump connection here is that, you know, Donald Trump, for, for, for all the kind of noise made about his kind of evangelical support, um, you know, he, he also comes out of a kind of a, a motivational or self-help um, environment, you know, his, his childhood pastor, uh, was Norman Vincent Peale, the, the, the famed author of, um, the power of positive thinking. And he grew up going to, um, uh, Marble Collegiate, uh, the, the Manhattan church where, where Peale was, uh, uh, leader. And, and so, and, and, and it goes even further than that, in that, you know, Marianne actually led classes at Marble Collegiate on A Course in Miracles um, would, would have lectures there uh, weekly um, until not too long ago. So, so they're, 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 the, these two characters um, are kind of in some way drawing from, from some similar kind of springs um, of uh, kind of American celebrity and, 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 and philosophy, I guess. And so, so for, you know, I think there's, there's something just kind of a, a footnote there, but for, for, you know, for Marianne to say that Trump is kind of doing something deeply dark, you know, I, I think it just needs to be pointed out that Trump kind of first made, you know, his splash really as this kind of, uh, w- with his own kind of series of motivational books, uh, The Art of the Deal, um, other kind of how-to uh, literature. So, so there's, um, there's some kind of something kindred there. Were you able to get a sense of how followers of the course feel about Williamson's current political ambitions? You know, so Marianne's, you know, celebrity at times has kind of eclipsed this, 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 uh, the course, you know, altogether. And I think that 
you know, that's some kind of context for understanding how people are looking at her now. And that, you know, I think, you know, she is a celebrity on her own right. Um, and some folks may have the feeling that she, you know, has kind of gotten famous off the course um, and um, maybe kind of lost something along the way. Um, you know, I, I do think that there's that, that, that sense uh, you know, one one person I spoke to in the article who's a uh, uh, who's friendly with Marianne and kind of you know supportive in some personal way. Um, this author John Mundy, he he's you know he was very clear with me that you know Marianne can kind of have this interpretation of of the course as being uh, a, a document that that might hold some um, you know that she might draw upon as a way to to kind of change the political world or change the so you know, change society. But to him, the course is, is, is not a political document at all. And is really meant for kind of personal transformation, not transformation of society. So, so there's some, you know, there's some ambivalence about it. Um, and, you know, Marianne had, has had kind of some kind of um, institutional kind of blow ups over her career as, as I think probably most celebrity will. Um, and there, so so it's not necessarily clear that everyone is who follows the course is going to rally around Mar- uh, Marianne. Uh, you know, I think I think far from it. There, the course for them is maybe just one kind of a, a, a personal document they study, not something that's going to inform how they vote. Something that I follow as well within religion journalism has been the recent coverage of the religious left, and I'm talking about figures like Rachel Held Evans, uh, Reverend William Barber, um, and these are often written about by your colleague Jack Jenkins. Um, Do you think that Williamson's brand of mysticism has a Mm -hmm. future in the religious left? So, So these categories are contested, obviously, and there's a lot of discussion around it. You know, I don't. I don't do a lot of writing on on that exactly, mm-hmm. but I, but I but I will say something. You know that that I you know I think when we, when we think about religious left, you know, capital R, capital L, <laughs> um, you know, we're it's. I don't see figures like like Oprah, like Marianne, kind of lumped into that category, um, and I and I think there are a couple of reasons. For that, you know, one is that Marianne might not always identify as a, you know, religious leader, and you know, the same way someone like like Reverend Barber does, right? She, mm. she doesn't hold a title. She doesn't come out of a any particular mainstream tradition. She doesn't hold a theological degree. It's much more of a kind of a folk tradition, if we can think of it like that, a kind of a folk metaphysical tradition. And so, so I think there's, you know, Marianne um, didn't finish college. Um, she's, she's a, a kind of a entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think there, there's a, she should come with this kind of imprimatur of the stamp of religious legitimacy. So there's, there's a, there's a kind of something like something is happening there. I think when we think about what constitutes the religious Left, you know, these are often figures who come out of these kind of stalwart traditions, or or from liberal um, divinity schools. And so, so there are, you know, there the the figures like um, like Marianne are a little more, um, it's a little more murky. And and then another reason why I think it it might not always be seen that way is that you know what. Well, I guess we call a kind of new agers. Uh, I, you know, Marianne ha- ha- kind of disputes this term often, um, but I think it's useful, and I think, in a broad sense, people understand what it, what we mean by it. In you know, their their politics might not always kind of align neatly with kind of political establishment either. So yeah, there's 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 more to be said there, but uh, but those are just some thoughts kind of on uh, on standing on one foot here. Excellent. Well, I want to change gears a little bit, Sam, because I also read your other 
large piece that you wrote a few months, uh, about a month or two ago, um, called Hashtag MAGA Church, the Doomsday Prophet Who Says the Bible Predicted Trump. Can we talk about that for a little while? Let's do it, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so on the other side of the political aisle, you profiled a doomsday prophet, pastor, rabbi named Jonathan Kahn, who says the Bible predicted the current president, Donald Trump. And this was such a fascinating piece, and I'm hoping to um, you know, drive some people back who may have missed that piece because it's so good. But who is Khan, and why is he important in the modern political environment in the United States? So Jonathan Kahn um, is a, um, is a best-selling author of end times interpretation books. Um, published by Charisma House, which is a large, um, kind of charismatic Pentecostal publishing house. He leads a New Jersey, a large New Jersey church uh, that is uh, this kind of um, uh, beautiful and strange-looking building that, that's made up to resemble a um, the, 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 the Temple of Jerusalem. Uh, he grew up in a Jewish family. Um, he still identifies as Jewish. He um, had a kind of a conversion experience um, uh, in his late teens, I believe, um, or in early 20s. I'll have to look back at uh, the exact time. And he, um, he kind of enters into kind of Jesus movement adjacent um, traditions. He's kind of blending um, his kind of Jewish background with this kind of newfound, uh, um, kind of his, his newfound, you know, Christian or, or born again beliefs. Um, and he kind of rises in, um, kind of Christian media. He's, he's leading a radio show. He's, um, uh, really drawing from his Jewish background. Um, and he kind of, makes a name for himself as, as a, as, um, a interpreter of end times prophecies. And in particular, what he comes to do is kind of, uh, like many others before him, um, kind of map out these beliefs onto, or rather kind of take politics or contemporary social events and kind of use the, the, the books of, um, uh, use kind of end times interpretation to uh, kind of you know as, as a de- as, as a way to kind of decode um, contemporary events. Uh, he publishes a series of books. Um, in particular people came to know him for his kind of interpretations of of the September 11th attacks and um, describing these as kind of a, kind of uh, as having a parallel to the, the punishments which were rained down upon the ancient Israelites for going against God. Um, and he kind of most recently has kind of latched on to um, the kind of rise of Donald Trump um, and is kind of reading certain kind of prophetic uh, import into, um, into Donald Trump's rise and when. Uh, and this has made him a kind of a figure in certain uh certain kind of charismatic and Pentecostal circles in, in, in the media world. These are, you know, these are largely, I, I'm saying charismatic Pentecostal, but these are, you know, largely uh, non-denominational spaces. Mm-hmm. His church there is not, you know, it's, it is associated with a, with a messianic umbrella group, but, but he's really kind of doing his own thing. Um, and in most of the people who, who Jonathan associates with are, are also kind of non-denominational leaders um, media figures are not necessarily, uh, you know, coming out of any kind of theological or kind of well-defined theological camp. You know, they're not, you know, kind of hardcore polemicists or, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's very much, a, you know, there's a kind of a, almost like a folksy charm to, to what, to Khan's project, um, you know, his kind of, his, claims to knowledge are not based on, listen, I, I hold this degree from such and such a place, but rather that, you know, God um, has kind of revealed these things to me. I've had these miraculous experiences. My, my life was, um, was, was saved. Um, I see these kind of symbols and signs wherever I go. 
Um, and in conversations with me, you know, he would kind of drop these miraculous, these kind of um, very descriptive, colorful anecdotes about how uh, the funding for his church came from a mysterious Native American who, who walked in and his name was Wahoo and he wanted to give money. And it was kind of God's hand doing this uh, at other times, you know, his, 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 his life was, uh, w- was spared uh, not once, but twice um, when a, a, a train um, hit his uh, Ford Pinto um, uh, kind of, he does international um, ministries and, and he would kind of have, um, and describe hearing demonic voices when he was uh, pastoring to, to, to groups overseas. Just all of these really um, kind of a real kind of enchanted landscape that that Khan describes. And so it's from 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 this that he kind of makes his claim to to knowledge and builds up this very large following, um, you know, largely online. But his church here is very well attended. Um, and and he becomes a kind of a a a, a I guess we can't really say televangelist because he's not really on TV, but he's a he's a he's a web evangelist, you know. Um, yeah. And many people encounter him on YouTube for the first time or on yeah. Facebook. Um, so that's that's a that's a lot there about Khan, but um, but that that's kind of a brief portrait of what he's doing. You know, and I, I actually went and watched several of his videos on YouTube, and some were like 250,000 views, 700,000 views. I mean, this is like a a guy who is attracting a gigantic audience. And I'm curious how you originally found him. How did he grab your attention? Sure. Um, so as some of your listeners may know, or as you may know, I was a staff writer for the old Jewish newspaper, The Forward, uh, for um, a few years. Uh, I'm still a contributing editor there and stay in touch with those folks. Um, and during my tenure there, you know, I, I kind of was interested in picking away at the kind of borderlands of Jewish identity, I guess we can say, and, and writing often about Jews who have kind of moved into other places or, you know, other kind of religious communities or traditions or are kind of um, blending these things. And, you know, figures like Khan, you know, I, I, I mentioned that what the temple looks like, what is the, what his church looks like, but the kind of, um, the kind of Hebrew element is a, is a major part of what Khan's doing. So, so I, that is, you know, he'll wear prayer shawl. He calls himself a rabbi. Um, people will go there kind of um, for their experience of a kind of a Hebrew liturgy. He'll mm. see some Hebrew from the stage. Um, they, they even have a kind of a mock Ark of the Covenant that's kept in the back. Um, it's very, you know, there's a lot of kind of um, pageantry at this, at this church. And um, so it's, you know, there's a theatrical feeling to it, and, and and people are drawn to that, and they can kind of uh, play around with Jewish symbols, um, experience something a little exotic, um, much like maybe someone would feel if they went to a, uh, I don't know, yoga class or something. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a way to kind of dip into a thing which is you kind of know is maybe not yours, but you feel some sort of kindred feeling to. So a lot of you know, non-Jews will will go there for an experience. I mean, you know, of, of a kind of a, some sort of Hebrew feeling. Um, so, so Khan had been, you know, on my radar for a while. Uh, and, and I one day just decided to go out to see if uh, I could meet him. Um, and I knew that there had been this kind of particular Trumpian turn, you know, his, his latest book, uh, or the, the last book, The Paradigm, was all about Trump's rise. And he's comparing Trump to, Jehu, the king in in, uh, uh, in 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 the Hebrew Bible, who um, takes who um, goes up against the, the house of Ahab, who he describes as the Clintons, and and uh, um, uh, assume you know take, um, becomes a leader in in the, in, in of, of the Israelites and casts out uh, idols. Um, 
destroys the temple to Baal, who is uh, described in the Hebrew Bible as a as a, a, um, a god needing human sacrifices. So so Khan makes uh, these kind of connections to uh, to abortion with the human sacrifices and Baal, and it's it's very um, you know it's very he's he's lifting passages um you know um to to make a particular argument right it's it's a very particular kind of exegesis he's doing here uh yeah. and in a in a kind of a, like i say this is not this is not a study that you know Yale divinity school or you know this is this is a paperback pulpy novels that are you know pulpy kind of airport reads that are read by his followers so it's you know it's a very particular kind of interpretation that resonates with a particular type of person um so without uh um i'm afraid i've lost my train of thought here but but he he right so so i go out there i i go out there and i meet khan i know about this new kind of political turn he's taken and i tell him that i want to uh so i spend a friday sabbath with them and i tell him that i I'm a writer and I, I really want to speak with him more uh, at length about his project and I want to attend more services. I want to speak with people. And Khan was very, very open. Um, he, he made time for me. He let me speak kind of without minders, you know, that is without people kind of watching over me to congregants. And, um, and, and he took kind of great care in telling me his story. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of how, how that, you know, how that started anyway. Well, and I'm curious about this a little bit as well, your, your attendance at the church, because, you know, I went onto YouTube and I watched some of his lectures and I found some of these hugely viewed videos. And then I scrolled down to the comments and uh-huh. some of the, some of the comments call Khan precious and very timely. Another one says that Khan has hit the bullseye for 2019. Another comment said that Rabbi is a great teacher of the word. So he resonates with huge audiences from what I can tell. Um, what were those conversations like with congregants and people that you were talking to who attend services with Khan? Yeah. Um, so, so the, so the makeup there is, is, is interesting. Um, there are people who, who, come weekly to to both services there are people who come just on so they keep a friday night service where they light the sabbath candles and then a sunday service where they where it's kind of more uh i guess kind of at least timing wise it's uh, you know a little more tradition it's a sunday morning at uh like i forget you know 10 or 11 so so people um it draws an interesting crowd because because people might belong to another church uh, in the area or elsewhere and come there as well, you know, as a kind of a, as a kind of extracurricular or a, a, a kind of another, an, you know, to kind of dip into something else as another kind of dose of, of, uh, of kind of Rabbi Khan's, uh, uh, worship there. Um, and so these are, um, you know, mix of people, um, you know, uh, other, you know, there are a handful of other kind of messianic uh, people who kind of grew up in, in, in Jewish homes who, who might still call themselves Jews who, um, who come there. Um, and yeah, these, these are people who, who, um, I mean, Rabbi, you know, Jonathan Kahn is the kind of centerpiece of this congregation. Um, he, he is the draw. Every every day after services, um, you know, wares are for sale in the back, and he'll, he'll sell his books there and sign them. New congregants get free copies of the book. So, you know, th- there is Khan, the, the the pastor or the religious leader, and, and Khan, the author. But but these two things are very very much kind of uh, they blend together, and um, and there at the, the the services you see that these books are also for sale in Spanish. A lot of uh, you know, a lot, a lot of Spanish speakers also um, there. Um, what else can I say about the, the church itself? Um, it's, uh, you know, a large kind of cavernous space that was once a department store that has been redone. There are 
very kind of um, colorful theatrical lights that flash up on stage. And, you know, people there would describe, as I think you saw, you waded into those comments, people uh, described Khan to me as a, as, as a kind of a prophet um, or, you know, someone who at least has kind of prophetic uh, gifts. Now, you know, I think it is important to say that, you know, that, um, you know, those who might be drawn to, to, to Khan's work, you know, but I also believe that, that, that God could speak to them or that, um, or that they might, uh, you know, also, also kind of have miraculous experiences of their own. And people there would describe things to me like that as well. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a, there's a, it's a very kind of enchanted view of, of how, uh, the world works. Um, you know, a woman described, uh, seeing, uh, you know, what, what to someone else might look like a sunset over the, the, the cityscape of Manhattan. Uh, this was right after Trump had announced the Jerusalem, a move of the, of the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. And she said that this was, um, that this was you know, God lighting up these buildings with, with heavenly light. Um, and, you know, to someone else that might, be, that might look like a sunset. Um, and, and to her, she was seeing, you know, something very, um, some, something else there. Um, and, in, you know, I think it's also, it helps us to understand how people might, might encounter Khan also, or, um, yeah, and I guess I'll just leave it there. You know, these two articles, um, I was thinking about what these two articles bring together for me personally as a reader. And so for me, I've been following your work now for some time. And to me, your work doesn't tend to write about largely mainstream groups. That doesn't really kind of seem to be where your focus is for the most part. But when we talk about Williamson and Kahn, these two figures, you know, The Course in Miracles, uh, Doomsday Prophet, these would not really be considered mainstream ideas in society, but I feel like they're now gaining popularity. Do you kind of see like the fringes of religion and mysticism as becoming far more mainstream going into 2020? I guess I would say that I don't think the I don't think the kind of enchanted undercurrents are ever kind of very far from the surface. Um, and I think we are seeing a, a kind of a and a kind of enchantment enter into the political realm, um, whether it's the kind of charismatics that are kind of coming to the fore around the president, be it Khan or others kind of in his circle who see themselves as waging a kind of a spiritual warfare, um, or whether it's uh, these kind of American metaphysical threads um, of Williamson's project or A Course in Miracles, uh, a channeled Bible from um, the, the kind of earlier counterculture. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you we're seeing a kind of a, a kind of emergence of kind of enchanted, um, maybe more kind of American folk religion um, might be a, a way to think of it really. Um, and that's maybe surprising um, because these are not kind of emerging out of kind of storied intellectual institutions or think tanks, right? These are, um, these are, um, you know, from uh, be it be it Khan's books, uh, these are kind of kind of apocalyptic airport reads, or um, or, uh, or or Marianne kind of Oprah endorsed um, metaphysics. Um, you know, this is a this is a, a kind of these are kind of threads of American religious formation that that appeal to a lot of people. Um, so. So, yeah, I don't know if exactly that they are even fringe. I think they might just be kind of undercurrents that we don't always see. Mm. 
I love that. Well, Sam, that is our hour today. Um, I'm really grateful to you for coming back on Classical Ideas to talk about your ongoing projects. I love following your work, um, and I love these two articles, hashtag MAGA Church, the doomsday prophet who says the Bible predicted Trump, and the curious mystical text behind Marianne Williamson's presidential bid, both out recently from the New York Times. Where can you direct people's attention if they want to follow your work and know more? Sure. Well, if if uh, if listeners are social media people, uh, which it seems as if everybody is, uh, mm-hmm. you can follow me on on Twitter, um, S Kestenbaum, or uh, on Instagram. If if you do that, um, also S Kestenbaum. I I keep my website up to date pretty pretty quickly or you know pretty frequently, so you can find my website. And uh, or just um, check in to the New York Times every every uh, every once in a while, which is where most of my kind of energies are going now. Excellent. Well, Sam Kestenbaum, this has been a real pleasure to have you as a return guest on Classical Ideas. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Happy to do it. Classical Ideas is produced by me, Greg Soden. Music on Classical Ideas is composed and performed by Derek Strybig. You can find his music at www.wearewarmmusic.com. If you like this show, please rate it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email me at classicalideas@outlook.com. Or find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash classical ideas podcast. Thanks so much for listening.